You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, welcome to On the Bench. This is your host of today's episode, Brendan Sinone. I will be joined in a little bit here by Josh Newberg and Bud Elliott, both of 24-7 Sports. And, and today's focus for our Camp Memory Series will be on quarterbacks, specifically the, uh, the parade of talent that would come through Tallahassee every summer to work directly with Jimbo Fisher. We are going to go down a list of uh, really interesting names, some former five-star blue chip, like top-ranked guys in the country, some hidden gems, and, and some guys who, who didn't pan out too. It's really interesting to kind of see how the quarterback position was recruited by Jimbo Fisher, how it evolved over the duration of his his decade or so in Tallahassee. So that will be today's episode. And really, I think the one thing to think about as we kind of put ourselves in this time, as we continue on with the Camp Memory Series, is just how big a deal it was to camp for Jimbo Fisher. I mean, remember when he first got going, he turns Christian Ponder into a first round draft pick. Then he hand selects EJ Manuel as a, uh, when he's an offensive coordinator and basically head coach in waiting at Florida state, EJ Manuel ends up becoming a first round draft pick. We all know Jameis Winston Heisman trophy winner, national champion, first round draft pick. So this builds up so much credibility for Jimbo Fisher in addition to what his reputation already was as a quarterback whisperer at LSU. And it turns into something huge at Florida state where we have uh, one big time name after another coming in every single year. And it's just so cool to see how it, how it evolved and, and then how it kind of changed too. And I don't want to say trailed off some at the end, uh, cause there were still some fireworks, but, but the dynamics certainly shifted uh, towards the very end of, of his tenure at Florida State. So that's what we're going to get into today. Before doing so, I want to give a specific shout-out to Daniel Garland of Evershore Financial. We'll get into his ad read in a little bit. But Daniel is supporting this series. This Camp Memories series is possible because of his support. So thank you to, to Daniel for, uh, one, being a great listener and, and caring about FSU, all things FSU as an alum. Uh, but for supporting us and allowing us to have this creative flexibility during the lean season. I ask that you guys stick around, listen to the entire podcast. We'll hear his ad read at the end of, uh, towards the end of this episode, Uh, but then go ahead. And and if you are in need of weighing your finances, seeing what options you have during these uncertain times to go ahead and and support a FSU alum, support someone who's supporting our show. Uh, He's really bright, uh, really smart, and also, like I said, a big FSU fan. So uh, without further delay, Josh, welcome to On the Bench. Bud, welcome to On the Bench. Gentlemen, how is it going? Doing well, Brendan. It's good to see that you are um, just as goofy as normal. I... uh... I was supposed to only throw it to you, and then I said both you guys, but Bud's a professional and did not jump in. Bud Elliott, 24-7 Sports National Recruiting Analyst, and he's on this podcast today because of not not just his national recruiting ties, but also he has covered FSU for a very long time at other uh, outlets as well. Bud, thank you for joining us. Much appreciated, sir. Yeah, guys. What's going on? Happy to do it. 
We're gonna talk a little quarterback, a little a little uh, slinging the ball around at uh, at the old Jimbo Fisher camp. Are you ready for this, fellas? We're ready. So before we get into kind of this rundown of of the names and, and some of these in depth memories. I wrote a story back in 2015 about Jimbo being the quote-unquote quarterback whisperer, and I already kind of set up his his resume when it came to evaluating and developing that position. Uh, Josh, real quick for you, what what are your memories of like what it was like? What was it like for players to go throw for Jimbo? You remember that being a really big deal, right? Yeah, I can't really speak for what it was like for players to throw for Jimbo oh, because yeah, I, I could never put myself in those shoes, but. I what I remember most distinctly about the quarterbacks that would arrive at these camps was um just the way Jimbo his presence around around it. Like as soon as the camp would start, um Jimbo would roll that golf cart over to the quarterbacks, they'd be thrown to each other, they'd be in parallel lines, um, thrown to each other. And when Jimbo would pull his cart over there, man, the, the pressure of the air in that area of the field would just change. You could hear everybody kind of tighten up, all the quarterbacks, you know, they're throwing, they're trying to spin it as the best they can because they know Fisher's watching. Um, a lot of kids traveled a long way to do this. They, a lot of these kids were young. Um, there's a lot of reasons to be nervous that you're throwing in front of Fisher, but they all were there to get that Jimbo Fisher stamp of approval. If if a quarterback came to a Jimbo Fisher camp and he picked up an offer, that was a valuable offer. It went a long way. Um, so I just remember Jimbo's presence the most, I would say. And Bud, for you, and Josh would drive up to these every single year, obviously, and it's a long hike for him. From where you used to live, it was an even longer hike down, down in the Fort Myers area. So you're going up five, six hours to come to Tallahassee. And yeah, I know you had the obligations for covering FSU, but you were also a national recruiting analyst as well. And you made your way to Tallahassee regularly. Uh, why was the Jimbo Fisher camp for you like a, like a destination almost every single year? I think honestly, like part of it was just the, the access. Sure. I mean, like they ran that thing compliance wise uh, in a way that was just a lot more open than you get at, other schools and you could like walk around i mean i have video from back in the day we were standing in the middle of drills like there'd be like balls that are going over like, like you know passes going over your head dude Me and Bud, but i would definitely say you and i would always get the best vantage point like it, we would kind of push it as far as jimbo would let us and, and at times we i was behind the guy snapping the ball and you were right behind the quarterback yeah yeah it was like we'd be standing out there right in the middle of seven on seven um they kind of tightened it up in the final years a little bit. But. Yeah, because more people started coming out. That was like when Bleacher Report was was a thing. And there's just more members of the media at that point. And I think everybody became more conscious of, um, I forget who it was. Uh, remember like the Nike opening uh, when the reporter had her back turned and got ran into? Yeah, and blew out her ACL. Broke her leg. Yeah, or whatever it was. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you, you could get legitimately hurt from where you were standing. I remember being behind the quarterbacks, like in their dropbacks. And when there's this huge, like, massive humanity of other quarterbacks kind of standing around waiting to get in line, like, everyone keeps inching up, inching up, and they end up pushing you up, too. So you're, like, right. If someone's taking, like, a five-step drop, drop, you're, like, a drop number seven. Uh, they kept going back a little bit. So, yeah, it was, it was great access, but it was also a little, a little dicey being in the mix sometimes. But, but that gave all of us, and you two especially, the ability to evaluate and, and watch these guys closely. So let's get going with we went back in some of the past episode with Jacob Coker and him throwing 
at quarterback uh, at, at one of the camps for Jimbo. And let's move it forward a little bit. So the quarterback recruiting in 2010 and 2011 was pretty ho-hum, largely because Jimbo had his guy in EJ Manuel uh, in 2020, or excuse me, 2010. They picked up Clint Trickett and Scooter Hagens, who ends up moving a wide receiver, and then Jacob Coker in 2011. We already got the Coker camp detailed. So now we're in territory where FSU needs a splash. They need a guy, a a franchise type of quarterback, if you will. Uh, That happens to obviously be Jameis Winston, uh, and he's not someone who necessarily camped at FSU. but he was part of, uh, you know, he was obviously an instrumental part of what FSU wanted to do at the position. But one guy who was around throughout the Jameis Winston era was Sean McGuire, affectionately known as Smag. Josh, I have a, a little written word from you at one of the camps in 2011 of June. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. There was a quarterback throwing who apparently impressed Jimbo. Uh, I did not expect any of the quarterbacks, 2012 quarterbacks who camped to FSU, though, to get an offer this week. I feel the Knowles will land Jameis Winston this summer, mm-hmm. and until he makes a decision, quarterback recruiting is at a virtual standstill. Called my you call, shot. You called your shot. You, you were right. The Jameis Winston stuff, the saga uh, was not smooth, but I get Jameis Winston. So you weren't super impressed with, with Smag. Do either of you remember him throwing at, at that June camp? I do. I remember he had a really big arm, like for his size. He was a little bit shorter, but he, he had a lot of hum on it, and – I don't think he was super accurate that day, if I recall, but it, he had a, he had a big arm at the time. Mm-hmm. I other than that, I don't remember a whole lot about him. I mean, I, I don't, I don't disagree with Josh's take that he like it'd be surprising if he got an offer. Yeah, and I don't remember anything from his performance. Um, I think at the time he was a quarterback prospect where if you squinted real hard, you could see him becoming like a, a real pro style passer, you know, somebody that could distribute the ball and, and be an all right guy. But even back then, um, I wasn't told this directly, but the way that I viewed Sean McGuire and taking a quarterback besides James Winston was you had to find a guy that was just happy to be there. Like a, a, a guy that just wanted to be a Florida state Seminole and be on the football team because James Winston was so celebrated. He was so hyped. Um, anybody would be crazy that really wants to go in and compete with James. Cause James was the guy like that was Fisher's guy. He was the next EJ manual for Jimbo Fisher. So they needed a second arm in that class and they had to go after somebody that would just be happy to be there. And that was Sean McGuire. That's how I viewed him back then. That kind of sums up Sean McGuire's career at Florida state as well. Someone who was, uh, who was just kind of there and obviously played in some, some big games for Florida state and some really memorable ones. And, and, that was his values that he was around. I don't mean that to even be negative. It just, I, I enjoyed covering Sean McGuire. That was just kind of his, his role and his value to Florida State. He was a guy. So this is where it gets a little bit more interesting. We start picking it up a little bit with the names in the, the, 2012, uh, the 2012 camp. So this is guys kind of aiming towards the 2013 recruiting cycle and beyond. The big names that, that start showing up this summer, Two really interesting ones. Uh, first off, a guy that, that maybe you've heard of. His name's Lamar Jackson from South Florida. Have you guys heard of this guy? Yeah, but let's be clear. When he showed up at this camp, he was not well-known no. at all. I believe he was heading into his sophomore year. So I would like to – yeah, he was a 2015 prospect going into the 2013 recruiting cycle. So he was going into his sophomore year. Yeah. But we'll give Josh some credit for this as a, as a keen eye. He said, uh, this is recapping the day, at quarterback, there were two prospects that stood out. 
Brad Mays from Berkeley Prep in Tampa, and Lamar Jackson of Oakland Park Northeast High School. Both are 2015 guys. The ball came off their hands differently than the others at camp. They really snapped it off with good velocity. Hope to see more in one-on-ones tomorrow. And then the next day, uh, no more love for Brad Mays. Unfortunately, Josh, this is all Lamar Jackson. Uh, as for Jackson, he has a great arm for his size and his great confidence. He looked very comfortable, and everything appeared fluid and smooth when it came to him. His touch was exceptional, and he hit some really tight windows. This kid will be one to watch as he grows up. First, let, let's give Josh a round of applause for the yeah, evaluation. Look at that. It's impressive. But who the hell is Brad Mays? Why is he getting mentioned in the same breath as Lamar this Jackson? Is a <laughs> funny behind the scenes story. Brad Mays was a quarterback on Team Tampa and his dad was heavily involved. And his dad always wanted me to write a story on Brad Mays. Well, it's Knowles 24 7. I don't really have room to write about Brad Mays. So he was up at the camp. So I was like, you know what? I'll throw him in here. And don't think that I'm like doing him some huge favor. I mean, I threw him in there with a with a sophomore named Lamar Jackson at no time did we think this was going to be some like Heisman trophy winner. I mean, I, he was just kind of in these notes with him. So this was my little nod to Brad May's dad. And I finally got him off my back without having to write a full article on him. <laughs> but when did, when did Lamar Jackson pop up on your radar? I, was he at camp twice? Cause when I saw him at the, if I'm trying to remember about this, the day I saw him at camp, they were throwing, this is when they had to go to like the old, uh, like the old IM fields. Mm -hmm. Josh, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, but uh, if I remember this one correctly, this is younger I, Lamar, right? This was younger Lamar. I thought he was throwing, maybe he was throwing on the old IM fields or the regular practice fields before the IPF was there. This um, is the same year and the same day. Like the, what I remember about him is the same day that like Eberly had a couple wins. And then also got worked a couple times on the old IM fields. And when I saw Jackson throw in the old IM fields, he was very inaccurate. So we may be talking about different days. Ooh, maybe different yeah, days. I, I remember this was up on the regular practice fields, and um, he was throwing mainly just with the quarterbacks. And I just remember being there with Fish and thinking how much he looked like a bobblehead because he had to wear his helmet and he had this big black helmet. He was at Oakland Park High School still, uh, Northeast High School. And he had this big black helmet and oh. uh, <laughs> he just looked like a little bobblehead throwing the ball, but it, boy, could he snap it off. And fish is probably talking, making comments about Stacy Coley. Yeah. Stacy Coley was yeah. with him. I mean, that <laughs> Stacy Coley was the, was kind of the one that we all had noticed and um, they were going to be teammates. Of course, I think Lamar Jackson ended up transferring after that year, right? Yeah. He went, uh, where did he go? Yeah. He, he didn't stay at Northeast. Yeah. He was only there that season. Or maybe even that summer. So FSU, and they ended up continuing to recruit Lamar Jackson to some extent or another, but not a ton. I will say this will yeah. probably, yeah, this is the same. This ends up being the same recruiting cycle as another guy who was there. I believe the same, I, it may have been one been there, one was there June, one was there in July, but it was in the same summer. DeAndre Johnson goes and camps at FSU and picks up mm -hmm. uh, an offer. This is what Bud had over at Tomahawk Nation back in the day. Uh, casual high, high school fans will remember this high school team being destroyed in the state final, but Johnson was a very impressive quarterback during his sophomore season. Another dual threat passer. Johnson has a good arm and already claims offers from North Carolina, Clemson, and Florida state at just six foot one sixty five. It's important to remember that growth and projections are a big part of recruiting evaluations. Uh, he gets an offer. I think it was at the FSU camp, but he ends up committing at the end of the camp or a few days afterward to Florida state. 
Bud, that's just a guy, and we know the off-field stuff, but as far as a prospect, he just ended up not growing a whole lot from the time you wrote that article. Yeah, I mean, and he didn't have the biggest of frames, probably generous with, with the six foot there, I, I would say. I mean, he's probably, what, in real life, five ten and a half, maybe? Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. What, by the time he ended up getting on campus, he ended up filling out like his frame was a little bit bigger than than I remembered him being when, when he got tossed around as a sophomore in that state championship game. He's just a guy, we, I mean, clearly the off-field stuff is what people are going to remember him by now. But uh, he was very productive in high school at, at that age. And he was a lot closer to being maxed out than we we realized, I think, from a talent perspective. I remember seeing him when Orla- in Orlando when they used to have the MVP camps at Jones High School. Him and his little brother came. And I think, I think DeAndre was going to be in ninth grade. Like, he wasn't even in high school yet. Uh, so we didn't even really know who he was, but I remember him and his brother came and they, and DeAndre was really, really good. Uh, and then the next year, I think DeAndre Francois came around too. <laughs> and he ended up being really, really good at, at the Orlando MVP camp as well. Uh, Josh, do you have anything to add on, on DeAndre Johnson's recruitment or, or memories of him at camp? Mm, I don't, yeah, I remember him throwing on the old IM fields for Jimbo and Jimbo riding around with him on the cart. And anybody that got on the cart, we knew was a top target. So we knew then and there that DeAndre was going to be a guy. Um, yeah, he committed like two years early, right? Yeah, so he, he was, was always at these camps, always coming back, always throwing. He was always involved. Like he he never wanted to sit on the sidelines. He always wanted to compete. I do remember that about him. Um, there was other QB commits or other kids that would come to camp that would be committed to other programs, and he'd want to see how he stacked up. So I like that about him. Like Bud said, obviously the off-the-field stuff, you know, takes everything off the table as far as what our evaluations were. We never really got to see what, what was going to happen to Johnson, but yeah, um, he was, he was a big important name at a bunch of these summer camps. I don't know if Bud remembers this. This is when I was at the Orlando Sentinel and, and he was at SB nation. This is like the first time I ever got irritated with Bud over Twitter because I said something first about, time. I thought Kay Loxley, Kai Loxley would maybe be the best of the three quarterbacks who were committed to FSU at the time. And I think Bud said something pretty like, minor like just like oh are you, are you serious and it sent the tomahawk nation wave of of hysteria at me there was like all sorts of mentions and it was like it ruined my evening uh do you recall that bud not particularly uh stuck with but it, you know i i, I maybe because we, we had just seen all of them throw mm-hmm. right and loxley was the one that you really thought could probably play a different position Mm-hmm. athleticism wise build wise and, yeah. and i think he was also the most raw of of the qbs um francois had the best arm at the time i think pretty clearly and johnson was the most probably polished and accurate when, when all those dudes were throwing that day of, of those three it, it's just funny that in hindsight like there's any sort of you know it just shows you how crazy this this whole industry can be sometimes we're we're debating of who's going to be the best of the three well one of them doesn't even make it to florida state the next one uh, is at Florida State for a few months and it leaves campus. And and then DeAndre Francois, we, we know his story also ends abruptly as well at Florida State. So none of them end up making, I mean, Francois had two seasons of starting experience and, and was a quarterback for the Orange Bowl. But uh, it's funny to have this debate over three quarterbacks that were there at one time and, and none of them really make a huge impact. Yeah. Throughout their career. Everybody was freaking out about that at the time, like meeting the message boards, you know, how, what's going to happen and, Who's going to end up in the class? Who's going to end up out of the class? And I remember talking to Jimbo about it and asking him towards the end of summer, like, what are you going to, what are you going to do with all three QB commits? And he's like, 
I'll let them figure that out. And I said, what if all three want to come? He goes, I'll sign all three. And I said, well, you know, do you have a preference for which he goes, no, I'll, I'll let them figure that out. Like I, he just had no worries. And he, in a way he wanted to see the cream rise to the top because he knew one of them was going to bow out. And that's just part of the eval process right there. One okay. of them did. So let's look at who else was uh, moving on to 2013. DeAndre Johnson continues to show up. His name's going to be pretty prevalent uh, for the next couple of years because he did commit so young. He's there in 2013 in June. Doesn't work out. Some other names at quarterback that show up this year. Frostproof 2016 quarterback Xavier Gaines is camping today, Josh says. Big-time dual-threat quarterback. I don't remember that guy at all. Interesting I athlete. Yeah. Thick okay. build, like strong mm-hmm. kid. Could have maybe played running back or linebacker as well. Yeah. Ended up going to Marshall, right? All right. All right. Academic All right. stuff, right? I think if I yeah. recall, like pretty early on, we got word he wasn't going to be. Mm-hmm. All right. So it t- sometimes those guys in, in the middle of the state uh, kind of fall through the cracks, even academically exactly. too. It happens way too often. Let's see. 2015 quarterback Dwayne Lawson from Hillsborough High School camp today. Six foot five pocket passer. Is it? That's the best Josh can say. He's tall and he can throw in the pocket. Well, he was on yeah. Team Tampa, so we, we can't criticize him. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't say. Yeah, I couldn't say anything bad about him. Started to pick up, but but cut on to the theme very quickly here. All right, what well, other guy? Hold on. Well, wait, wait, wait. Oh, I mean, right. Come on, give me a break. I mean, Dwayne Lawson did sign with Virginia Tech. Did he? Yeah, yeah. he was a BCS kid. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. and then he he never made it in academically. I think he bounced to JUCO and then maybe committed to Illinois, but I don't think he ever made it back to to football. But he was a guy. I mean, but he was super raw. He should have gone to USF. He was that caliber. All right, one guy who did make it to campus, for better or worse, and he was camping in 2013, although it was more just a visit. I don't think he actually threw that day. J.J. Cosentino, here's from Chris Neen update. J.J. Cosentino and his family talked to Jimbo Fisher for quite a while, chatted with J.J.'s father. They are happy in his decision. FSU is a complete package. Josh, didn't, uh, didn't Jimbo give you some shit for – for the rankings, the 24-7 rankings on Cosentino? Yeah, for about, I don't know, two years. Like, every time we'd see him, he'd be sure to get a jab in or two about – and it wasn't just us in, in 24-7. It, it, it was probably just everybody that was there listening. And, he, you know, he'd tell us that uh, J.J. was the best damn quarterback in the country and we just don't know about what we're looking at and who rates these guys anyway. And, <laughs> you know, he just, you know – I shit you not, you know, JJ, you know, and he'd just go on and on about how we're missing. And and then we joke about some other stuff. It wasn't malicious, but yeah, there was like a two-year period where he liked to tell us how how bad we missed on him. And you really couldn't say that much back at the time, <laughs> like, even in a joking manner, because he had put like a million guys straight in the NFL. And that was back when NFL teams still cared if you ran a pro-style system, quote-unquote. Now mm-hmm. they, they don't. They like the spread guys just as much as these dudes who run pro-style stuff. I you was know. just confused why he wouldn't like – like he conceded that Sean McGuire was what we described him as. And then when it came to JJ, everybody thought it was just the same. It's like, yeah, you got to get an arm on the roster, just like you did with Sean McGuire. And I don't know why he took so much offense to him being a three-star. I just, just I had weird. seen JJ at the Columbus, Ohio Nike camp, like two months prior to him coming down there for the FSU camp. And I actually thought he looked a lot better um, than his rating at the Nike camp. Mm-hmm but his stats in high school were not very good. And it was entirely a projection. You know, I mean, it was, yeah. Hey, a big kid with a pretty good arm, you know, maybe he can be Jacob Coker 2.0. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly right. The That's disease, exactly what, what do they his, call it? The disease of me or the disease of was. ego? Isn't that kind of what, what Jimbo's... Uh, J.J. Cosentino was the pinnacle of when Jimbo took him of him developing guys. Because I think when J.J. committed, it was before the 2013 season, right? Yeah, obviously, if he's there in the 2013 camp. And then we obviously see what Jimbo's got with Jameis Winston in that 2013 season. That's right, because J.J. was at the opening, the season opener in Pittsburgh. Uh, but we get to kind of see Jimbo think he can be the quarterback whisperer for anyone at this point because he had taken uh, Jacob Coker, who was a wing T quarterback. He had taken John Franklin, who was uh, some semblance of like a wing T option that they ran down in uh, Plantation, Florida. Jameis Winston, even for a good chunk of his high school career, wasn't playing like a pro style or spread offense. It was it was more of his kind of old school wing T deal. And then J.J. Cosentino barely threw the ball at all at high school. So that was, I think, Jimbo at that time was on such a run with quarterbacks thinking that, you know, just give me a, a big guy with a big arm. I can make it work. Uh, and the guy in high school uh, who he selected as his first QB as the OC ponder was actually a wing T kid as, as well. <laughs> should, should have been writing stories on, on Jimbo and the, the fascination with wing team quarterback. Cause there, there was a run on him. That was funny. Oh, in July, later on in that 2013 camp, uh, there were a few interesting names as it pertained to, to Florida State's recruitment, mainly because of like location and, and ties. A couple guys from Miami that came up and kept coming up. One was uh, then went by the nickname of Winky. I don't, I don't think he's called Winky a whole lot any longer. Quentin Flowers. Josh, uh, do you do you remember Quentin coming up camping? Yeah, and the reason why this was so exciting wasn't because I thought Quentin was going to get offered. It was because. I, we all, me, but everybody had been watching Quentin Flowers on the seven on seven circuit for like two or three years now. And Quentin was a six foot quarterback that didn't look like any of the other pro styles, but I just wanted to see him at FSU camp because his arm was so big that you couldn't ignore it. And I, and I almost wanted to see like the contrasting styles of like how old Jimbo work with Winky Flowers at this camp. I knew he wasn't going to get offered, but it was just like two two styles that I wanted to see come together. And the other quarterback who was there throwing the same day, uh, kind of someone with similar, similar type of attributes, really athletic, undersized though. Uh, not what you think of as a quote unquote pro style quarterback, but someone who was a Florida state commitment. I don't, I don't know if that at that time though, Treon Harris, uh, what ended up happening with Treon? He went to Florida and then just kind of fizzled out. Or did he get off field stuff? I can't remember. He got caught up. Oh, did he? Yeah. I, I, yeah. I legitimately could not remember until I started talking. It wasn't trying to bring that up. No, he got uh, caught up in some stuff and fizzled out. I thought you meant his, his, it during his recruitment. Really, yeah, so, he wasn't committed to FSU at the time of this camp. I don't okay. remember exactly when he did, but he wasn't at this camp. But so essentially, I mean, did Jimbo, because they ended up taking two quarterbacks, or they were going to take two in that class. They end up going with Treon, whether than, other than Flowers. They obviously offered Treon. They didn't offer Quentin Flowers, though, correct? Yeah. Treon was at Booker T. Harris, right? But yeah. yes, time, he was Booker a Booker T. T coach's kid. And like, man, it just, he was an interesting prospect because, like, if I'd asked you, is there any way you could ever see this kid being in the NFL? I think the answer is kind of no, right? Just based on, on the measurables. But yet he was extremely productive in high school. Like, mm -hmm. I don't like looking at quarterback wins, but I know. Jimbo and those guys did like quarterbacks who won. Like who they won. thought it was an important yeah. year or a winner. And I personally think that winning is a team stat and, you know, like you do things to make or lose your team win. Like, let's look at what you're, 
contributions are to the win or loss as opposed to just the W or the L. But I think Jimbo was doing that too. Like, I don't think he's like, oh, this quarterback wins a lot. Let's take him. Uh, but he was always an interesting dude because he was like, man, physically, he's got some good stuff, but mm-hmm. there's some stuff that's kind of lacking, and, and we'll see. But coaches love the dude. Like, Florida played him over Will Greer consistently. Like, <laughs> he right. must have had some, like, like magic stuff that he sprinkled around and just made him think, like, he was even better than he was. And on top of it, he could play another position. Like, that's true. You could look at the other quarterbacks. DeAndre Francois could not have played another position. DeAndre Johnson could not have played another position, really. Uh, most of the quarterbacks at FSU recruits could not play other positions. Treon Harris truly could play another one. What would have happened, hypothetical here, if FSU offers Quentin Flowers with a good camp, says no to Treon Harris, and then ends up signing Quentin Flowers? Willie Tiger doesn't make it to Florida State, right? Mm. <laughs> how's that yeah. how's that for 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 a domino effect <laughs> but we saw FSU's we saw 25 million dollars richer if that happens <laughs> yeah and we saw quentin flowers in a pro style offense mm-hmm. for a yeah. time at usf and it was a disaster mm-hmm. so he probably transfers jimbo would have had to change a lot of things and and at that point in his career was not showing the willingness to change a ton uh, I think that's fair to say. One other yeah, quarterback, yeah, one other quarterback in 2013. I'm gonna have to throw this one to Bud Felipe Franks of Wakola. Uh, he's a quote unquote a surefire superstar quarterback recruit, 6'4", 180 pounds in the class of 2016. He threw the ball well all day. FSU is not offered as of yet, but an offer would not be surprising. The mm-hmm. offer ended up not coming, right? Not that summer. No, yeah, they 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 waited, I believe, right? Or did they did they ever actually offer? If it, I don't know if it was a committable one, because remember him and yeah. Gavin this, were teammates, and there was I remember, interesting deal. This is him as a sophomore. He was throwing lasers all over the field. Yeah, okay, this was the sophomore camp because I remember watching him in on seven on seven, and I shot video for our LSU site because he was committed to LSU at the time. So right. I think maybe that summer FSU did offer, but again, he was a guy like. There's offer, there's QBs that they offered, and there's QBs that they recruited. And he just, he wasn't a guy that even if they offered him, they never really recruited him. And that was a question, like, would they recruit him because they wanted Gavin off that team as well? Mm-hmm. It, it was, they were high school teammates. They did go to the state finals, what, that the last yeah. year, I think? Because mm-hmm. yeah, Gavin got hurt, and uh, he, he busted up his shoulder there shoulder, in that final right? game. Yeah. 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 Um, no, his arm was just crazy good, man. Like, he was for, – for his age – his size and arm was, was really, really pretty wild. Um, mm-hmm. There's another kid we're going to talk about in, in two years from now uh, as well. Who, who's like that coming up. Yeah. So let's, look, ooh, there you go. And, and you didn't spoil it like Chris knee would have too. So let's, uh, <laughs> let's replace Chris with bud. I'm kidding. Knee. I'm kidding. 2014. All right. So this is the year after FSU wins a national championship. And you want to start, I mean, the names we're mentioning right now are pretty good, but those are also younger guys too, right? Like these are guys who aren't quite developed, like Lamar Jackson isn't Lamar Jackson at that point. Uh, So these names have been good for Jimbo, but he's still having to rely heavily on his evaluation skills and whatnot. Well, we get to 2014. This is when Josh talked about earlier, like like this was kind of a destination, right? For for quarterbacks to come throw for Jimbo Fisher and the, the... intensity that this comes with so starting off july 2014 this is a day before camp this guy doesn't camp here but he comes to check things out dwayne haskins ends up being a first round draft pick like a top top three draft pick goes to ohio state and then a couple days later the quarterbacks end up showing up and in the 25 the, the 2015 group is represented by deandre francois and deandre johnson 
Uh, and then also for the year, or so that was a 2014 group. Then the next year's group is Malik Henry, five-star, and five-star Jacob Eason. So you're talking about serious star power showing up on campus at the same time. Uh, let's see, Bud, do you remember, like, what was the buzz going into camp that day? I think it was on day two when they all threw. Like, I don't know if we've ever seen that many Division One quarterbacks throwing on the same day at FSU before or since. No, that that was a crazy loaded day. Um, just like you said, we we had Henry coming in, we had had Easton coming in. Um, you also had the you know Francois and and, and DeAndre Johnson there, uh, who like we normally thought were good prospects, maybe not elite prospects, uh, but then Henry and Easton both they, they had a different level of ability, right? And in a camp setting, unless the kid just acts like a complete and total idiot it's really sometimes hard to decipher like, Hey, there's some stuff about this guy who should turn you off. And I don't think Eason acted like an idiot. In fact, he threw well, I, I was impressed by Eason's like his coordination and his footwork for how big and, and, you know, like his age, he, mm-hmm. he was, he was advanced as far as that for how big he was. And Henry just was very put together as far as throwing the ball. He was accurate. Uh, his you know, motion was, was pretty compact. He, he was also a dual sport guy. Uh, and I think FSU just really looked at him as kind of like the next Jameis. Let's see, Josh, do you – I'm trying to think of, of where I want it because there's a couple different things to unwrap here. Uh, first, the the fact that you had DeAndre Johnson, who's already committed and hadn't thrown it you know, in camp since 2012. He goes there and throws uh, – there was a little bit of a rivalry with him and a rivalry with him and DeAndre Francois, if I remember correctly. I'm not saying they, they disliked each other, but there were two DeAndres. Both were quarterback recruits. Both wanted to go to Florida State. And then all of a sudden you have these hot five-star hot shots coming and you have DeAndre Francois there. Uh, do you recall like the competitiveness of those guys throwing that day? Yeah. And that's what I meant by DeAndre Johnson liked to compete. Mm-hmm. Well, so did Francois and Johnson had been there a couple summers before working with Jimbo. So I'm not going to say like he felt that was his territory, but in a way, you know, you got two two young males that are coming out to compete, and that's just what they did. And they wanted to compete with anybody else that wanted to bring it. And Malik Henry came, and Jacob Eason came. And I think one of the other things that you got to remember is this is summer of 2014. Jimbo Fisher just won a national championship. He just produced a Heisman Trophy winner. Like, these kids not only wanted to impress each other, but they also really wanted to impress Jimbo Fisher. What do you remember about Jimbo working? As for both of you guys, Josh, I'll start with you. Would you remember specifics about Jimbo working with those guys? And what, like, I can just remember Jimbo yelling things a few years later to quarterbacks. He would fixate on certain things with certain quarterbacks and would would get enamored with a specific quarterback, Joey Gatewood, coming down. Do you remember exactly what happened with the way he was? But what were were some of Jimbo's quirks that he liked to always harp on? Uh, The way you held the ball. For sure. The height, you know, that you bring it back and, and where you hold the football. He would always, he was always big on that. Tying your arms to your feet was was, mm-hmm. was a really big one, right? Like, like he, you know, he, he's kind of a, you know, West Coast guy. And so like, like taking drops, he, he wanted to take drops from under center and, and, and work on their footwork like that. And that was new for a lot of these kids. Like, like yeah. I mean, he was doing a lot of teaching, not just yeah. evaluating, a lot of teaching. He likes to coach him. Like, like he is, like he's the head coach and, and whatnot, but he's, kind of always still the, the quarterback coach at, at, at the end of the day. Um, he was really big on, on their grip, how they imparted mm. spin to the ball with their hand. You know, he, he would talk to us like hanging around the golf cart about the hand talent. It's like, I yeah. like, you know, I like this kid, blah, blah, blah. But like the hand talent on, on this kid. 
And that would trickle down to all his assistants. They'd all talk about hand towel. Oh, yeah. Hand towel. <laughs> um, it's like throwing darts. <laughs> he, did, he, would, he would be, so he would, I'm trying to do it now. And obviously the listeners can't, can't see this, but he would flick out his wrist a lot. Like when trying to yep. show things, he would do a very, very like loose uh, wrist throw. I like it, like exactly like throwing darts. I still remember that very vividly. Cause he would talk about that whenever he was talking about quarterback and, and hand talent. Uh, oh, here's something, Josh, do you want to read how you guys recapped the quarterback that day? Or do you want me to read it for you? You have it on here? I do. I'll do. I'll read it for you. I got do it in, my, in your best Newberg voice. Okay, dude. No, that's Spicoli. <laughs> Today's morning session is what we all came here for. It was the main event, the headliner, whatever you want to call it. Don't call it disappointing. Josh, you're like waxing poetic here. Uh, we go to this is when you cared about what you were writing. We go to watch Florida State's quarterback commit, top uncommitted target, and the number one and number two pro style quarterbacks throw in the same group. Here's how I would rank them based on today's performance: DeAndre Francois. That's at one. Malik Henry, two. Jacob Eason, three. DeAndre Johnson, four. Chris Nee, uh, this is how he ranked him. Jacob Eason, one. DeAndre Francois, two. Malik Henry, three. DeAndre Johnson, four. It's a little discrepancy in our rankings, but since I'm writing this, I'll break it down from my perspective. Nobody wants to hear Chris's opinion anyway. <laughs> That's what you wrote. Uh, DeAndre Francois, quick, quick release, lots of velocity. He was very accurate today and threw it well in the drills, one-on-one and seven-on-seven. Seven. Malik Henry, great footwork. That really stood out to me. He was so smooth with his feet. Malik found a way to throw through some tight spots in seven-on-seven and made some throws that got the crowd excited. Jacob Eason for a big-body quarterback. I was surprised by his soft touch. He had dropped a couple deep balls right in the receiver's pocket. I watched him all day and felt like he never really let it loose. His touch was excellent. He already has an NFL frame. I just want to see him let it rip. DeAndre Johnson was a leader out there. He was the first in drills and consistently jumped in from – in front to get more reps. I like that. There he is, competitive Josh. Uh, he was erratic during one-on-ones and didn't participate in seven-on-seven. I heard him tell Jock West Patrick that his groin was tweaked. So, interesting thing about this, fellas, all these quarterbacks we're talking about, none of them end up finishing their careers at the school they started with. Huh. Yeah, how about that? None of them made it to the NFL, right? Or no, no Easton, Easton did. Easton did. Yeah. Easton did. But even then, you talk about this inexact science and, mm-hmm. and how much things can change in a few years. Like, it's they go and they – breathtaking performance for Jacob Eason. Uh, and, and even then, still, he has to go transfer elsewhere. And it just shows you how interesting. But, like, think about back then, just a few years ago, the idea of quarterbacks transferring as regularly as they do now. That's such a foreign concept. If, if Bud Elliott here today can go back and tell – uh, Tomahawk Nation, but LA, hey, all these guys are going to transfer. You'd probably laugh at that, right? Oh, definitely. There's no doubt. And and nowadays, I mean, quarterback's the one position where I don't think you can argue that it's more important than regular recruiting is to get transfers. But man, it's it's a lot closer at the quarterback position as far as the importance of transfers uh, than it is at any other position. Like, there's no other position where you're, you're consistently seeing transfers go in the first round of the NFL, but quarterback transfers go in the first round of the NFL all the time. And uh, it's, it's, it's just a thing now, but no, at the time it was largely unheard of at, at, at the current level that we see it. One more thing on this. Oh, two more things. One, uh, another quarterback who was thrown that day got overshadowed a little bit. One Bailey Hockman, he ends up being a, a Florida state commitment as well. No, he also tra- transferred to uh, NC state. Uh, then the other detail here, Josh, you had some scoop way back then. Malik Henry, apparently, he was a boomer bust from a recruiting perspective, not with the off-field stuff and the reason why his career derails, but FSU was going all in on Malik or, or no one in 2016. 
Yeah, that was the message the staff wanted out there. They wanted to make sure that they were going to be able to lock down Malik. Um, and they weren't really recruiting anybody else, to be honest with you, but they definitely didn't want that message out there either. Like they, even if, if I was wrong, I think, you know, that's probably where this came from. I think I wrote about somebody and I got a call, you know, from somebody saying, Hey, don't do that. Malik's our guy. We're, we're really not recruiting anybody else. So that that's where that little bit of info came from. Okay. We're going to take a quick commercial break and then we're going to finish this off with a few big time participants between 2015 and 17, including some fireworks in 2017. And we'll wrap this up uh, before we go to our national commercial break. I want to, uh, to give props to Daniel Garland of Evershore financial for making this series possible. Uh, and you know what, Josh, you sit back. I'm going to do the read this time. Cool. You got it. Right now, we're experiencing some of the most difficult economic circumstances of all time. In times like these, it's important to have a financial plan for your finances. Dan Garland and Greg Abdallah are financial professionals and diehard Seminoles. As professionals with specialties in current financial position analysis, investments, retirement planning, risk management, and life insurance, you can get a comprehensive financial plan to help guide you to your long-term goals. Dan and Greg are FINRA-registered financial professionals with Evershore Financial Group. With four offices in Florida and clients all over the country, you know you can get individualized help from someone who cares. Call Dan today at 321 304 4026 for a no obligation consultation. One more time, that's 321-304-4026. Separate from the financial plan and our role as financial planner, we may recommend the purchase of specific investment or insurance products or accounts. These product recommendations are not part of the financial plan and you are under no obligation to follow them. Dan Garland and Greg Abdallah are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securing Financial Services, Inc. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Securing Financial Services, Inc., member of FINRA SIPC. Evershore Financial Group is independently owned and operated. 750 North Maitland Avenue, Maitland, Florida, 32751. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, we're back. Uh, we're going to try to wrap this up quickly, but Elliot is a busy man. Oh, can we point out one thing before, before we jump back in? Yep. Uh, the, 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 the Francois Johnson class, mm-hmm. like East of the Mississippi that year, I know we all talked about this at the oh, time. Nobody, yeah, like, that. Mm-hmm. They sucked. Like, if you went to the, to the Elite 11, it, it was just I, mad. Like, Francois was probably the best quarterback East of the Mississippi that year, or, mm-hmm. or very close to it. Nationally, not even close to the top. Like it was just a really weird year. Almost all these dudes from Cali and Texas and the Midwest were just a lot better than what we had up and down the Eastern seaboard. And so, you know, 
everybody was really excited that DeAndre Francois was like the number one dual threat quarterback in Florida. I was like, yeah, but like, I don't know. I, I wasn't super sold. And, and I remember at the time, my readers were not real happy about that. You, but you were a little bit, even when DeAndre was at Florida state and had statistically a pretty good red shirt freshman season, you were a little bit lower on him than most, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I just didn't think he hit guys in stride often enough, mm-hmm. you know, and like the accuracy, like you can complete a pass, but like if it's if you're turning touchdowns in, in you know, 20 yard gains, that's, you know, an issue. The thing with DeAndre that I remember watching him throw, and I covered him when he was in high school uh, in Orlando, and he can make some amazing throws, but man, there was never such thing as a layup with DeAndre. Like there was never a, a gimme with him. He, could make the hard look easy and the easy look hard. And I think that stayed with him throughout his entire career as, as gifted as he was physically with his, with his arm. He was like a 44% or 46% passer at, uh, at Olympia. Yeah. Yeah. And they had some weapons at Olympia too. Now they, they, yeah. And then everybody's like, well, that'll improve if he gets to IMG and it did some. And so I think there was some open question like, okay, will he continue on that improvement trajectory? And, you know, Jimbo being a big quarterback coaching guy, I'm sure he thought he could improve him more. I, I think what we're learning now is you can't teach accuracy as much as, as coaches want to think they can. Like, they're, mm-hmm. I don't think they're right about that. I think you can teach scheme. You can teach understanding of scheme and that type of stuff. But, it, like, the motion stuff, it, it might be a little more ingrained in, who, in your DNA after, you know, you hit a certain point of, you know, 10,000 reps or whatever uh, yeah. than, you know, th- than coaches want to believe that's one thing that should maybe be optimistic or exciting about this current FSU staff with Mike Norvell. They do value accuracy a ton. You can see that based on the quarterbacks he went with at Memphis, uh, but just even the guys he's recruiting at Florida state completion percentage seems like it's a really big deal. Have you noticed that bud? Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, uh, Altmaier has a pretty high completion percentage. Uh, you know, last year he took two very productive guys. I, I think it's something they they do care about a lot. Okay, so let's look at let's look at the 2015 class. Uh, Malik Henry shows up again. He throws one day in July, and then the other big name. I remember Jimbo being absolutely fixated with him. I, I remember writing about it for the bigger story I did on Jimbo being the quarterback whisperer. But he spent the whole day around Joey Gatewood uh, from from his apartment trail somewhere near Jacksonville. Just big kid, big arm. But what do you remember about? And I think that's who you were alluding to earlier when you were doing a little bit of the foreshadowing, right? Oh, dude, for his age, he was freaky. I mean, there's, there's no doubt. Like he's an, he's a birth certificate kid all the way. You're like, yeah, I'm going to need to see the birth certificate, you know, before I believe that you're actually 14 years old. I mean, he was one of the best quarterbacks at that camp that day. And he was two or three years younger than the guys that he was, uh, that he was better than. And I mean, really the tools were just off the charts and that's really what you can measure in a camp. I mean, the seven on, some, but like, I don't even like camp seven on that much, like regular seven on, at least I know you play with these guys you're throwing to and camp seven on it. It's so disorganized. Like you can throw some picks that are really not your fault. Uh, but man, toolsy wise, he was, he was nuts. You remember much about him, Josh? Um, not too much. I, I do remember Jimbo fixated on him, like meeting, um, bringing him around on the golf cart and stuff. And I think it was because at that time, you know, Fisher was rolling he was into making these early evals and locking in on a guy. And cause Joey Gatewood was what 2017 class. And we're talking 2015 or was he yeah. even 2018? Uh, he would have been, he was a year behind Malik Henry. If I 
recall correctly. I don't remember the. I think he was 17, Josh. Yeah. Right. So we're talking. You know, he was a sophomore at this time, and with everything that Bud said, there was good reason for Jimbo to be on this kid because wherever Joey Gatewood was going next, he was certainly going to get an offer. And so go ahead, Bud. He also had a a thing. I feel like he thought he could take big athletes who had big arms and turn them into more polished passers mm-hmm. repeatedly when I, he had tremendous success with, with, with some dudes and, and not so much with, with others. I don't know if that was actually the best fit for his system since he didn't really utilize quarterback mobility that much. You know, I wonder if like you run a precision passing system, if you go get a guy that is a little more naturally precise, uh, but it was just clear that, that they were, they were all about Gatewood at, at the moment. So moving on to 2016, you'd see there's kind of like a little bit of a lull the year after the fireworks before. Now, 2016 is a, a good class of campers. Uh, Riley Smith shows up in June. He was, wasn't he Gatewood's teammate, if I'm not mistaken, or am I getting him confused with, with another? Because I thought there was a two quarterback system that Gatewood used, and Riley Smith was getting up going to Boise State. Yeah, there was a weird obsession with Riley Smith on the on the site. He was one of the guys that the message board kind of latched onto and wanted FSU to offer, kind of polarizing figure on the board, but um, was a decent quarterback. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think he was a pro-style guy, like 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, but ends up, yeah, yeah. Uh, not quite FSU caliber. Other guys who show up, Bailey Hockman, Grant Gunnell. Grant Gunnell ends up camping, getting an offer. James Blackman, know how that goes. He gets offered. And Bo Nix camps and gets offered. So they dole out a handful of offers at that camp. Uh, Josh, starting with you, who do you remember who stood out or what performance stood out to you during that the, that camp session where all these offers are flying? Yeah, the Bailey Hockman definitely stood out. And this was um, one of the initial red flags where I started to know, like, just it kind of stuck like, man, something's different. And um Back in like 2011 or 2012, FSU, there was a quarterback. I can't remember who his name was. He was left-handed, and I thought FSU was involved. Maybe there was a report that FSU had offered. And I went to go check, and I asked James Coley if this kid had an offer, and he told me no, and he told me that Jimbo would never offer another left-handed quarterback after what happened with Will Secord. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, he just didn't like teaching a left-handed quarterback. He just... He said, you know, it seems like everything would be the same, but Jimbo just didn't feel like he could ever teach a left-handed quarterback. And I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And then I saw, like, the Bailey Hockman thing. And, again, we – like, Jimbo was slipping a little bit. And and this wasn't a sign where I was going to go say it, but the standard used to be the standard. And he didn't want to coach a left-handed quarterback. And here you are, you know, going and offering this kid and eventually taking a commitment from him. And to me, that always – stood out I, I remember them liking the the Gunnell kid a, mm-hmm. a pretty good bit as well um he's another guy who I feel like peaked early you know mm-hmm. and didn't continue to develop quite as much and went through a bit of a lull I, I don't know if he had dead arm or or if he was hurt but like as a senior I, I was not very impressed with with him I mean several years later following this camp I remember seeing him at, at the Adidas seven on out in LA and I, I didn't think he had a ton of juice wasn't he, he playing was baseball it. as well, bud? I'm trying to remember. I, like he, dad, I'm not going to say nothing. <laughs> I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, he actually is doing really well at Arizona now. Like the okay. only thing going well with Arizona. He's and oddly enough, well there. He, he was committed to Texas A&M under Sumlin. And then when Jimbo got there, 
after mm-hmm. offering him at FSU in 2016 and really being like the top young quarterback on the board, Jimbo didn't want him at Texas A&M. Oh, right. is that they, how that worked? I thought he said I thought he said no to Jimbo twice. So Jimbo got there and said maybe look somewhere else. I mean, you really going to go to Arizona or? And the kid know. was from Houston, so like if you don't, right. if you don't like Jimbo, A&M's like staying nah, home. I don't think they had a bad relationship with Jimbo at the time. Okay, uh, so. Those are a couple of the guys. James Blackman, Josh, what do you remember about his his camp? Obviously, he did something to get the offer. Yeah, I remember. Um, he, who who did FSU sign in 2016, ultimately? At quarterback? Well, so Blackman and Bailey Hawkman are the year after. That's 2017. Um, Malik Henry was 2016. Okay, so they offered um, Hawkman, and he was more of the sure thing, right? He was the coach's son. He right. was on a successful football program. Um, he, was, he, was he was ranked the, higher, too. He was four Yeah, stars. so the thought process there was like Bailey Hockman's kind of the sure thing, while James Blackman can come in and redshirt, and he's got such a high upside, but he has so much work to do. That was kind of the thought process there. Didn't really work out that way. <laughs> As we know, James Blackman's getting thrust into the fire uh, while Jimbo has one foot out the door and it kind of starts the chain reaction of one offensive coordinator and position coach after another for, for poor right. James And Blackman. because they didn't, you know, when Francois went down, there was no Malik Henry to step in. So now you got James Blackman coming to play when – Every coach that I talked to during James Blackman's recruitment was assuming he was going to redshirt and probably not play until his sophomore junior redshirt year. So exactly (laughs) to see him on the field as a true freshman was mind blowing, but it showed you just how tragic that quarterback room turned out in Mm -hmm. Florida state. Newberg, do you remember we actually saw Blackman, you and I had seen him twice before he got to camp that year because we saw him at the IMG not the national, cha- not the national tournament, but the the southeast regional tournament. He was playing with like the was it like the Bell Glade team, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we also saw him at USF camp. Oh, then you saw him three times. I, I, don't, I, have I don't think I w- was that sling and shoot. Watch videos is James Blackman throwing at USF camp. It has like thirty thousand views on it on my YouTube page. Wait, was that at sling and shoot USF? No, nope, that was okay. at um, Willie Taggart's uh, Saturday Night Live. Got it. Okay. So I think James Blackman camped at FSU a couple days before, you know, because FSU camp was Wednesday through Friday. And then I, I don't know what, what day he camped, whether it was Thursday or Friday at FSU. And then his crew drove down to Tampa and did Saturday Night Live the next day. Were there and bounce I houses? went down and covered Saturday Night Live the day that day and, and shot film with James Blackman. You couldn't just throw me a, a pity chuckle josh what'd you say oh my god that was crazy how, how people got mad about the bounce houses yeah it's just wow. Will, willie could do nothing right at that yeah, point that in the eyes of all of those. Yeah. i was joking about that and that wasn't a big deal. i thought it was actually a pretty smart idea to have the bounce house there for you have all these kids that are uh, hanging along with their big brothers and stuff and bored and yeah keep them entertained for a few hours made sense uh, in the grand scheme of things one of the better willie taggart touches Bo Nix was the other guy. His dad, Bud, is his dad Patrick Nix? Yep. So his dad played for Jimbo at Auburn. Yes. Right. And yeah. uh, then was a, was an OC at Miami. That's right. That's right. I got talked to him for the Jimbo quarterback whisper story I did. And, and kind of a, a salty, gruff type of type of gentleman Patrick Nix was. I wasn't sure if Bo Nix was his son. That makes sense why he goes to Auburn. But clearly they knew they weren't getting him. 
Yeah, they mm-hmm. knew that that guy was probably going to be a legacy. Yeah. If anything, I think him being there, too. like, yeah. Sorry, Josh. He was small. Yeah, that's what I remember. Remember, he was he was young at this camp. I mean, he was pretty short. Like he, it, it wasn't. He had a lot of hype coming in, but like he was pretty short still, and we just didn't know like how good he would be. But Bud's right. There was there was no perception. Like he was coming into camp and kind of hanging out with Jimbo and whatnot. It also allowed them to sort of get a pacing look like, okay, if this kid is somebody that, that we all think is really good on film and, and like is one of the top kids nationally, like what are we up against? Like, like, mm-hmm. like let, let me evaluate a guy like a Blackman or Gunnell, you know, Hawkman against a kid like this. Mm-hmm. But he was, he was younger. So that you're not, right. excuse me, you're not even evaluating Blackman against him. You're, you're evaluating guys who are like a year younger. I think Gunnell was a year younger as well than Blackman at this time. Yeah, he was. Yeah. They were not in the same class. Grant Gunnell in 2016 was coming to FSU as like a, a sophomore junior, not going into his senior year. Josh, this was still you, a year before. So, Joshua, you, you kind of touched on this, but as we're getting to the final year of the Jimbo Fisher camps and a big-name quarterback uh, kind of does make, make sure there's, there's some fireworks and there's some interesting moments. But as we're getting and in transitioning into this point of, of Jimbo's tenure at FSU, the quarterback room, I remember going into the 2017 season, you had DeAndre, John, or sorry, DeAndre Francois coming back uh, after a strong redshirt freshman season, some flaws, but something to work with. And you had Bailey Hawkman and James Blackman. Remember just feeling, though, like there was that, that first time in, in a long time that you didn't have this hope of, because Malik Henry flames out really early on. You didn't feel you had this bona fide draft pick on the roster. And you felt like you didn't have one even in the fold for the future, which is important. Kind of like how I feel about FSU's defensive tackle position right now. Uh, they, I mean, they got a guy right now who's probably going to be. Right. But I, it was time to reload at the position. Yeah, I agree. And and I guess more so, I mean, you, you can make that analogy, but quarterback is the bread and butter of, of a program, especially Jimbo's programs. Like he's at his best when he has a really talented quarterback to work with. And when not, uh, he has a hard time kind of disguising some of the other flaws within his program. As we've mm-hmm. seen, do you guys remember kind of feeling, I had a conversation with, with Wayne McGahee around the same time as we're transitioning to the 2017 uh, summer feeling like, man, they, they could be in real big trouble at this position and hence the, the program but did you feel similarly that going into Jimbo's final year not obviously none of us knowing it's his final year but did you feel like that they were kind of on weird footing not really because at the time I think they thought they were very much in it for fields well that's that's where we're going is Justin Fields is kind of the the hope for them right he's oh sorry do you mean in 2016 I I so, no, we're going into the 2017. Uh, I'm we're talking about how the roster is looking at right now without Justin Fields actually being in the fold. And that's who we're getting to is Justin Fields. Uh, so, Henry was still on there at the time, right? And I think, yeah, he had to be. Barely. He was there at 26. He had already gotten suspended almost immediately. Yeah, I think this was the he summer. looked like he was like 110 pounds. He was gone, though, by, yeah, by the time we're in the summer of 2017. He's not there anymore. He didn't make it to camp in 2017, if I recall correctly. So you had uh, you had Francois, who I was not as high on as some people, but he came off a pretty good 2016, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you had Denner Johnson was not there, right? Because he had that happened almost immediately. Almost immediately. So yeah, you're talking about uh, some strikeouts at the position adding up here. I, I wasn't really quite as worried about it as as others were. I don't think, but at the same time, I, I must have been because I wasn't as high on Francois as others. <laughs> 
this place is, I guess to say all this, this place is a ton of importance on quarterback in 2017. There's now all of a sudden uh, room on the depth chart to get early playing time or at least get reps uh, with the second team offense and the ability to kind of move up quickly after DeAndre Francois because Bailey Hockman looks kind of safe. James Blackman looks like a project. Now those guys are, are those slam dunk, surefire, like, hey, this guy's going, if things break correctly, going to be a, a draft pick type of type of guy. And FSU starts entertaining some some quarterbacks. Remember Jace Reuter from Kansas comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Justin Fields shows up. Josh, do you remember the buzz and excitements when Justin Fields shows up? Because that was, correct yeah. me if I'm wrong, wasn't that, he shows up twice that summer. Was the first time, was he supposed to show up? Or was that time, a surprise? Seven on seven. Was right after that seven on seven. We were communicating with Damien a little bit. Uh, he, they were hoping he was going to, him and the dad were going to stop by. They didn't know if the whole bus was going to stop by. At the end of the day, I believe him and his dad broke off from the bus and did end up stopping by like literally for like 30 minutes. And they promised a return trip. And then, yes, I, I think in July there was a return trip and Justin Fields did throw for Jimbo. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. We're all sitting there in in like the in the museum they they pull up the dad's wearing like camo cargo jean shorts remember this and like a black t-shirt and i'm trying to think like he had a big group of them so that must have been the second time so all right so i got it pinned out here justin fields throws the first time in june so he comes the first time he shows up and then he shows up again in july the first time i think was planned he throws he looks phenomenal uh, i remember jimbo just gushing over him I, actually I recall this Jimbo's starting to get very salty and, and cantankerous at this stage, uh, not becoming very distrusting of the, of the media. We're all standing by Jimbo in his cart watching Justin Fields throw, and Jace Reuter's there too. Jimbo goes to Damian Craig, goes, hey, Damian, he said, why don't you ask these experts here who they like better, Justin Fields or Jace Reuter? <laughs> Damian has no idea that Jimbo's being sarcastic. And he proceeds to go and ask every single one of us who we like better, and then just goes back to Jimbo. And there was a, that was nothing else to the the conversation other than him just doing what he thought Jimbo wanted him to do. Yeah, uh, this whole year, and this Justin Fields recruitment, I think Florida State was trying to find lightning in a bottle. Like they were trying to spark that spark that they had back when they were recruiting uh, James Winston. Remember, Damian Craig had been gone now for like three or four years. And now it's kind of like Jimbo's got the old band back together. He really needs a QB and he's sicking Damian Craig on him, just like he did Jameis Winston. Mm -hmm. And this time the results just weren't the same. Well, uh, Bud, you you kind of alluded to this. FSU thought they were in good position with Justin Fields or was it other schools that thought FSU was in good position? Like if Jimbo doesn't check out, I think there was this kind of consensus or at least some belief that FSU was in a really good spot for him. Is that, is that fair? I think that's fair. I mean, path to playing time was pretty obvious. Uh, mm-hmm. he, it's clear that you know, they liked uh, Damian and Jimbo back when the communication was still happening consistently. Uh, I, I think that was one of the sort of like red flag things looking back on it. It was like, Ooh, you know, maybe like, inconsistencies in communication with a quarterback of that uh, that mm-hmm. caliber when you really need a quarterback for you know 2018 uh that's that's problematic um yeah that but they did have confidence that they could get him mm-hmm. you know like that was 
I think what you said there, Brendan, is is well put. That like he was, you know, if they get him, does that you have a coaching change? Yeah. Does there's still all sorts know. of hypotheticals tied to the quarterback position in this like few month window, bud? Mm-hmm. Uh, if they get Justin Fields, say he decides because he shows up again in July. And that was the other story I wanted to tell. He said that's what happens. He shows up again in July. That's the surprise one, if I'm not mistaken. Because FSU didn't want it out there. And we kind of knew that that was to be expected, but we had to keep it quiet. Uh, but Noel Game Day, I think, <laughs> wrote something on it. Because, yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. We end up seeing Damian Craig go in and yelling at a player who would have <laughs> known some of the guys there. And I think Bud was next to me. And he's yelling at this player. And, and Damian Craig starts pointing at us and basically telling the player, don't you talk to them and tell them that kind of stuff because that ruins things for us. Do you remember Is that, the player Bud? a current linebacker? Yes, from Tallahassee. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he basically he he lit into the kids, say, "Don't tell them anything of, about what's happening because they want to keep it on the down low." So Justin Fields did show up twice in two months, and that was that was a big deal at the time. But but that brings me to the point. So FSU feels good about it. That actually the Willie Taggart staff had heard and tell that Justin Fields wanted to commit to Florida State under the Jimbo regime, and that's why they thought they had a chance at him because he was familiar with with Tallahassee. Um, but let's say they get Justin Fields, and let's say DeAndre Francois doesn't get hurt against Alabama. Yeah, does Jimbo leave for Texas A&M, or is it it's much harder to at least? Right? It's probably harder, much harder. Yeah, I don't know if it's a done deal at that point. I don't think it was. Based on it was reported, it was more like in September or so, after things kind of derailed for Florida State. Uh, so yeah, the quarterback room. The lack of viable options going on uh, in that in that room at that time end up, I think, making it easier for the outlook of the program to change drastically. And obviously, obviously, a lot of that is on Jimbo Fisher with the valuations, some misses though, uh, and some bad luck with injuries as well. But but that changes the complexion of the Florida State program as as we know it and as we're covering it today. Fellas, do you have anything else on quarterbacks before we wrap this up? I, I do think it's important to give him the benefit of the doubt when it comes to some of the Malik stuff, right? Like when they made the, Josh is, is very on point here to, to say like how early on they w- went all in on Malik and quarterback recruiting happens earlier and earlier each year. It, it's easy as a message board guy to think you can just stop and pivot before these guys senior years and all of a sudden start getting in on a similar caliber of quarterback, but they had already gone down that road, you know, pretty far with Malik, I think before they started to real to to hear about some of the other stuff, you know what I'm saying? Like there, there were rumors out there about him being a diva and, and those type of things, but that's not uncommon with quarterback recruits. And I, I don't know. It's something I always got back when I was running Tomahawk. It's like, Oh, well he should have known this, this, and this about Malik. And I was like, okay, but when, right? Like, should he have known that when that, when he came to camp, Did, like, did he have those problems? Were they obvious when he came to camp? I don't think so. You know, like like they they cropped up later and were more obvious mm-hmm. later. Uh, but that's somewhat out of your control. You know what I mean? Do you agree with that, Josh? Because I, I know you've not been critical of Jimbo Fisher, but you you thought maybe there. Well, were I think more, warning signs. more towards the end of the year when um, when more towards the end of the year, like in August, there was just some real red flags. And I remember 
I was trying in a million different ways to ask Brewster if they were looking at any other QBs because, you know, this is a concern. It, and he just, he, he wouldn't give in. And finally just was like, Josh, it's Malik. It's Jimbo's guy. And it was just like, uh, okay, I got that message. And from there on out, it was just kind of like, whatever you hear about Malik, don't come asking me because Jimbo's going to sign him. Okay, this is a good stopping point, I believe, for this episode. And as we kind of start putting the finishing touches on this series, I would like to kind of preview what we're going to do for the next couple episodes. One is going to be the back half of the Jimbo Fisher camps. And you still get some big-time guys that Josh is going to have some really fun analysis on, on just how the recruitments shook out and, and how – much chasing you can do to try to confirm if someone's coming or not and the surprises. And, and so that'll be a fun part of, of the series. We're going to talk about that. And then I think we're going to go into kind of the, the eventual decline of the talent coming into campus and, and how you go about fixing it as well. So I want to thank both Josh Newberg and Bud Elliott for joining me, fellas. Thank you for hopping on the bench. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. All right. Thank you, Brendan. It was fun. Enjoy it again. Sunday after the Equalizer. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. It's the season finale. Everyone's looking for something. Of Tracker. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions and you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. CBS season finale Sunday after the Equalizer on CBS and streaming on Paramount+.